We get insight into the coming child and we know what color to paint the nursery. But this birth announcement is different. This birth announcement was sent out some 700 years before the birth of the coming Messiah. That's a long pregnancy, isn't it? Israel was pregnant a long time with the promises before the baby who was the fulfillment of those promises came. But this birth announcement tells us a lot about who this baby will be. See, the prophet Isaiah was delivering an encouraging message to the people of Israel. They were, they were under threat from the superpower Assyria. And he is dressing the situation by promising some specifics about the future coming king. And see, this 700-year delay is not because God was unable to fulfill His promises. Everything was according to plan, but He gives them this insight into this coming King so that they may have hope that will sustain them during a time of darkness and threat. The King is coming, and when He comes, He will fulfill the plans of God for the salvation and eventually the glorification of His people. See, from their perspective, He hadn't come yet. He hadn't come the first time. From our perspective, He's coming again. But the same thing, the hope-building message of the coming King, we can partake of as well. See, although we look back at Jesus' first coming, we still have much to learn from this birth announcement. It's a very special announcement. And most, think about it. Most birth announcements give one name. <laughs> Here we have four. But in all of the Old Testament, myriad, and in the Bible, myriad names that describe who this king is and give us great light. This one, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. They all describe God's King who was to come. I titled this, This King, not just the King is coming. This King is coming. And He is coming again. Emmanuel, as Corey preached, described further with these names. Names that are all associated with God. And this week, rather than starting with a main point that would be very long, I've got points of application in, under each name and then a summary at the end, which we'll be more ready for at that time. So I'm, I'll give you that near the end. But first, we, we just want to merely, we're diving in. We're looking at the names of Christ. We're going to look at these names in the way that He's described and see how that might shape our life, our hope, our expectation. All the year and in this time when we celebrate the Incarnation. But first, look at the first name. And it is, these are couplets, okay? And it, so if some translations would put a comma between wonderful and counselor, but I don't think that should be there. I mean, there was no comma in Hebrew. Um, but, but look at the rest of them. You have mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's, it's probably supposed to be wonderful counselor. And it's true that He is wonderful in general. But this is focused in, just like the other three couplet names are, 
And these names give us insight into his essential characteristics. And this one, wonderful counselor, at best, or at least it means he's not your average counselor, right? He is a wonderful counselor. He is the one in whom we find the whole treasures of wisdom and knowledge because he is, remember, God taking on a human nature. He is two natures in one person, the God-man. And so he's eminently qualified, and you can't really even use the word. There's nobody to qualify him. He is the qualification. He is the highest. Colossians 2.3 says, In him who, Jesus, you can go back and look at that in context, are hidden all, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This coming one who would be the wonderful counselor, the one, the child who is born to us, the one that was coming and did come, born in Bethlehem. And we celebrate as we, we look in Matthew and Acts and the Gospels, Luke, um, we see the good news of his birth and the difference that that makes. This one that was coming and has come and is coming again, this one who is a wonderful counselor, it says in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Think about that. Why do we go to counselors? I mean, the world has its favorite counselors, right? Freud, Jung, people they, they go to. Why do, why do people go to people like that? But they, they need help with their life. They want them to tell them what to think and what to do, right? And he, it says in this counselor is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Think about that. He is endowed with absolute perfect wisdom. This one is endowed with absolute perfect wisdom. The ability to rightly apply everything that God is and has told us to life. Wisdom is, is trusting God and knowing Him and applying His Word to our life, living in it. How do we live in God? How do we live in a wise way, in a way that both glorifies God and is good for us? This one tells us. You've heard the, the three anointed offices of the Old Testament that Christ fulfills, prophet, priest, and king. He's our prophet. He's our prophet who tells us the truth, who always speaks truth and truth in the highest, who has all knowledge and wisdom. And what he says, therefore, is ultimately valuable over anyone else's opinion. And he's proved it by raising from the grave so that any who disagree with him are wrong. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the one who has... Absolute wisdom. Now just think about that. Jesus has absolute wisdom. God has absolute wisdom. And God has revealed what we need for walking in His wisdom, in His Word that is about His Son, this wonderful Counselor who was to come. Therefore, Jesus is the highest and most perfect teacher. I mean, think just one example, Sermon on the Mount. 
Greatest sermon ever preached, right? Because the greatest preacher preached it. All of his words are true. Not just the ones we like. We don't get to cherry pick. It's not a cafeteria. We have to learn them and bring them all together. The Spirit applying them to our lives. Think about this. He's the counselor we need. His counsel is the most important counsel that we need. Because it is the perfect counsel. And it's not just limited to the Sermon on the Mount. He is the Word of God. And the Word of God is about Him and in Him and through Him. He he has given us an entire Bible of His counsel. And it's exactly what we need. He is the one who speaks truth about salvation and life. He is the master we should follow. Let me ask you a question. Can we follow Jesus without His Word? Is His Word just a help to follow Him a little bit better? Imagine that walking around with Him on the dusty roads of Palestine and then... You know, you follow a little way and then you divert over here and you find him. And you Is that following Jesus? No. No, it's not. Following Jesus has everything to do with how we react to his counsel, how we react to his teaching. What did he say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? To do what somebody says, you at least have to hear what they say, Right? And this word is what he says. My question for me and my question for you this morning, are you listening to his counsel? Is he your counselor? Is he the one you run to preeminently? Not that others can't help you, but we help you as we point you to him and help you understand his word and how it applies to life. Are you listening to the wonderful counselor? Are you following his counsel? Let me use a short word. Are you obeying Jesus? And see, I know the answer to that is yes and no, right? Because we're not glorified yet. But the reason I'm pressing it is in the hearts of those he saves, he puts a desire for his word. And he calls us into his word and he makes us people of his word. So if you're not a person of His Word, you're not following Jesus and you don't treasure Him as a wonderful counselor. So instead of getting mad at me, look to Him and turn to Him and ask Him to both give you that passion and and just to put your face in it. Lord Jesus, You are what I need. Counsel me through your word. Lead me in the way. I mean, you can hear verses falling all out of that when I say that. Blessed is Psalm 1. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. But what? Word meditates on day and night. See, he doesn't just counsel us mystically through feelings as we sleep or whatever. His counsel comes through His Word. Do you believe this name? That Jesus is the, you could put the before these names, the 
wonderful counselor, the most wonderful counselor, the one endowed with all wisdom. Are you following him because you're hearing him and walking in his paths? What it means to follow him is to have, he tells us, to have his word abiding in us, right? That's what he says qualifies a disciple. And what else did he say? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. See, some of us don't even know what his commandments are because we're not in his book. And just let that challenge you. Let that, I mean, he went all the way to the cross for us, coming from the throne of heaven to purchase a people who no longer belong to themselves but to him. And he calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. You can't follow a person you're not listening to. He's the wonderful counselor. Be not wise in your own eyes. See, too many of us have that virus. We got self-wise virus. We need to be rolling off of that onto Jesus-wise, having his word. I said before these names all correspond to God, and so just a couple of you know points as we go through each one just to show that. But um, one of the things, not all that it's doing, but one of the things these names are doing is telling us this one coming is going to be the God-man. He is God in the flesh, right? Isaiah 28, 29, same book. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. Notice the name. The Lord, Yahweh. Of armies. Now watch what it says about him. He is wonderful in counselor, counsel and excellent in wisdom. Here's the wonderful counselor who is the Lord of hosts who we're talking about in Isaiah 9, 6. See, here's my sort of wrap-up point for this name, and I know we could spend a lot more time on these names. But this says, let this Christmas be the turning point when you really begin to listen to Him and follow His counsel. Let this Christmas be the turning point when you really begin to listen to Him so that you trust Him and follow His counsel because He is our wonderful counselor. This baby coming, this one who would be born in Bethlehem some 700 years later, would be the very incarnation of God and would be the wonderful counselor, the Lord, the master that we should listen to, heed his word, and follow. Secondly, look what it says about him. Mighty God. In case you were wondering. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. The Hebrew, El Gabor. El being a name for God and Gabor meaning strong. We talked about the arm of the Lord, so we've talked some about His strength. But the coming Messiah, Emmanuel, will be God. He will be the mighty God incarnate to save us. The arm of the Lord, omnipotence incarnate. I point you to the previous sermon. He will be divinely strong. He's not weak. Well, that puts a new flavor on the Gospels, doesn't it? When you see Jesus allow himself to be spit on, to be beaten, to be crowned with a crown of thorns, 
to look Pilate in the eye and tell him how he could call legions of angels if he wanted to. But he was submitting so that he would save us. Meekness is not weakness. The coming Messiah is the arm of the Lord. Mighty God, El Gabor. Some, I will just say, I'll give you a little preparation for when Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door if you want to stump them on something. But they don't believe what I'm telling you about Jesus. They don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe in His deity. And they, but they'll read this verse and say, yes, He's a mighty God. But He's not the almighty God. So the mighty God is different from the almighty God. And the mighty God is Jesus, and He's a lesser God. He's the first of God's creation. He, Michael the archangel, but not God. Let's look at how Jer- what Jeremiah thinks about that. Another prophet that we should listen to that used this very same name, El Gabor. Who is El Gabor? Who is the mighty God? Watch what Jeremiah says in 32, 17 to 19. And a song's going to come into your head, and I'm sorry. Well, I'm not sorry. But you, some of you, will. this will key a song in your head. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Takes you back to the sermon we preached on the arm of the Lord. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of the fathers to their children after them. Oh, great. Here we go. Oh, great and mighty God. Now, watch who the mighty God is. Oh, great and El Gabor. Oh, great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. L-O-R-D, capitals. Divine name, what they, what they would call Jehovah, really probably should be Yahweh. But this is the Almighty God. And He's saying the Mighty God, His name is Lord of hosts. So there's no distinction between Mighty God and Almighty God in the Word of God. It is the same person. And it says, now watch this. He's great in counsel. Kind of ties together. Mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to the ways of all the children of men, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. Look at that. His eyes are open to all of our ways. Go read Psalm 139. He knows your thoughts before you think them, your words before you speak them. There's nowhere you can go to escape his presence. He knows everything about you. You can't hide under the covers or in the closet or in the dark of night because it's all light to him. You can fool us, but you can't fool God. That used to scare me to death. He knows everything. He, think about this. God knows you better than you know you. So listen to your wonderful counselor who is the mighty God who came to save you. Repent and turn to Him today. This wonderful counselor, this Emmanuel, this arm of the Lord, this coming Messiah and Savior is the mighty slash almighty God incarnate for our good and our salvation. Nothing is too difficult for Him, it says. So the point under this name, this Christmas, believe that He is God and that His power, and watch me, His power is directed toward your good. 
And every trial is being used by Him for your good. Why else could James say, count it all joy when you fall into various trials? Why did Paul say, we rejoice in our sufferings in Romans 5? Because God is at work through them, making us like Jesus. He didn't come to make us comfortable. He came to conform us into His image. And He's doing that faithfully. All God's power. If you're a child of God, all God's power is for you. And it's directed towards your good, which your good is being conformed into the image of Christ so that you more and more live a life that glorifies God. And listen to me, and I hate it, and I hate that it's this way, and, but we, sometimes we just have to trust God. A lot of that happens through struggle. And a lot of that happens through pain. And a lot of that pain, remember our study in Ecclesiastes, just reminds us we live in a place of death. We live in a place of darkness. We live in a place that's in rebellion against God. And someday He'll wipe away every tear and there won't be any more sickness and won't be any more death. We don't live there yet. We're in a dark land as emissaries of the true and living God that we might be light and salt for Him. But His power, He's for us, not against us. And He's at work in us and through us through every trial to both make us like Himself and shine His glory out into the world. So trust your wonderful Counselor. Trust your mighty God. Next, Everlasting Father. Everlasting to the ages, literally, means He's eternal. He's eternal. The, one, the coming one is an eternal one. What, what did John say in, in the first of John, in John 1, 1? In the beginning, He was. Taking us back to Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, He's already there. There never was a time when He wasn't. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From ev- He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews says. He's eternal Entered into time. Entered into a manger. Entered into life. Taking on a human nature. Everlasting Father. Now, caution. This is not confusing the Son with the Father. That's not what this is doing. Remember, these are descriptive titles. Right? It's not saying, it's not confusing the Messiah or the Son of God's role with the Father in the Godhead. He's not a modalist. He's not saying that sometimes God appears as Father, sometimes as Son, and sometimes as Spirit. By the way, that's heresy. Modalism. So no matter if T.G. Jakes preaches it, it's heresy. No matter if Stephen Furtick follows down that trail with him, it's heresy. We don't listen to that kind of thing. It's not confusing the Son with the Father, but he's telling us something about what the Son, who the Son is and what He will do. It's giving us the Messiah's character uh, that Isaiah has in mind. I mean, even in Hebrews, he rejoices that over the children that God, the Father, has given him. Right? So this title, now watch this. This name conveys his devoted care for his people. As a good father, he is devoted in his care for his people. He does not look after his own interests alone. I mean, 
Gosh, the manger teaches us that. The humility, the humiliation of Christ. Rather, like any good father, he will put the needs of his children first and work for their benefit. He will never, ever, ever, ever forsake his child. Ever. Earthly fathers and mothers will. Human beings will, but he never will. He's not like them. If you didn't have a good godly father, be careful that you don't associate the bad deeds of your father with God. Because he didn't command them to be that way. He will never forsake his children. I mean, gosh, how do you look at the cross and ever doubt that? If he'll do that for us, what good thing will he withhold? He will go all the way to the cross Taking, taking on a human nature and going all the way to the cross, submitting to the Father, taking the wrath of God, do His people's sins, unimaginable suffering to save us. He is the Lamb of God fulfilling all of those Old Testament sacrifices and pictures and prophecies. He's the one who came to take away the sins of the world of Jew and Gentile, all who were given to Him. He lived in perfect conformity to the law, providing a righteousness that we don't have. And He died to pay the penalty for our sins. He took our condemnation so that His righteousness might be given to us and we be, might be made children of God. Christ lived for us, died for us, was raised for us, is reigning for us, and is coming again someday to get us. And He will finish the work, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yes, one God, of transforming His children into His image. What does Paul say to the Philippians? God finishes what he starts. He's not a quitter. If he's brought you to faith in him, he will cause you to persevere. Yes, through trials and times when you don't feel like you have any faith. But he will keep you and, and grow you. And someday he'll come for you and glorify you. He never, ever forsakes his children for whom he died. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and raised the third day according to the Scriptures. And He offers salvation to you if you will have Him. Will you turn and trust Him? God so loved the world, or God loved the world in this way, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes into Him, literally trusts in Him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. And obviously to go from unbelief to belief, there's repentance. There's a change in the direction of a soul which results in a trusting and having the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, having a new heart that results in growingly living a different and new life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If you're celebrating Christmas without faith in Christ, it's a fake. Let's have Christmas for the first time this year where you really are trusting in this Messiah. And if you're His child but you're not really taking Him seriously, let this Christmas be a time of rededication. If you're in the midst of a storm, cling to Him because He clings to you. He's letting you feel the depths of your weakness that you might trust more fully in Him. But He will never forsake you. If you are His, He is in His description here, everlasting Father. Dads, I have a question for you. Are you sacrificing yourself for your kids? 
Are you putting your desires down for the good of your family? Are you being like the everlasting Father? A searching, I know, and I know there's ways in which we're not in places we need to grow. But we follow Him by becoming like Him. And one of the ways we need to be like Him is a sacrificial service. That goes for moms too, obviously. goes for all of us. We're all called to deny ourselves, take up His cross, and follow Him. This is another proof of His deity. Only God is called the Father of His people throughout the Bible. And only God Himself can truly be the, called the everlasting Father. Now, when again, we're not confusing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit within the Trinity, but characteristically, this is what Jesus, the coming Messiah, would be. But Isaiah 57, 15, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. So that everlasting part is said of God. And then Isaiah 63, 16, For you are our Father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, look at that name, are our Father and our Redeemer from of old is your name. He will never die. And therefore, He will never reject His children. He will never stop interceding for us. This child is the author of eternity and the father of time. Charles Spurgeon said this, There is no unfathering Christ and there is no unchilding us. He is everlastingly a father to those who trust Him. Are you trusting Him this morning? Life will make you feel like it's not true, but it's true. He's with you and for you. All your struggles have to work for you now and not against you. He's using them to make you like Christ. There are times when the Apostle Paul said he had the sentence of death within himself, but it was that he might trust in Christ and not himself. What is the length of my trial going to be? I don't know, but he's with you in the midst of it. He hasn't left you or forsaken you. The point on this name, this Christmas, look to the cross and trust His fatherly care. Under His care, His protection, and His provision, we are safe and will be satisfied for all eternity. Look to the cross and trust His fatherly care. Under His care, His protection, His provision, we are safe. Even when it feels like we're not. And we will be satisfied in Him for an eternity. Look at the last name. Sar Shalom, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. This last name title indicates that the coming of Christ will be the cause of full and perfect calm and blessed safety. All who submit to Christ will lead a quiet and blessed life in obedience to Him, growing in that. That makes the flip side true as well. Life without this King is restless and miserable. Nothing here can fulfill that hole in your soul, that satisfaction that will last, that thing you're looking for. There's a God-shaped hole within us. It is never filled until we come to the Prince of Peace and receive His peace. His peace He gives to us, right? That's what He said. Not as the world gives, but He gives His peace.
to us. See, this peace speaks of a peace of conscience enjoyed by those who trust Him to bring peace with God. Those who trust Him to bring peace with God experience this peace more sometimes than others and in growing measure, generally speaking. Listen to me. When the gospel has brought true composure to your mind, spiritual peace will hold the highest place in your heart. The more I trust Him, the more I know who He is, the more I know He's in control, the more I know that Christ has fully satisfied justice for me, the more peace I will have in my heart. So that's, a, that's, a, that's an objective peace, peace with God, no longer at war with God. Why? Because Christ has taken our condemnation and reconciled to a, us to God. And flowing out of that, is a subjective peace that we walk in because we're trusting Him. We're not afraid that He's forsaken us when we go through deep waters because He's already told us we're going to go through deep waters. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome it for you. So we have peace in our hearts through faith in Christ who has lived, died, and been raised for us, showing us the gospel's truth and promising us now that all of our trials are working for us, even the ones we want to be over right now or wish it never happened. There's a lot of those, right? We know we abide in... Now listen, this is a test, and it tests me. It'll test you. We know that we're abiding in His peace when we can patiently walk through adversity in faith. That's a peace test. How close am I to the Prince of Peace? How much do I trust Him? How much am I rested in the truth of His gospel? And, the, and then flowing out of that, He's our wonderful counselor. And He's told me this life is going to have misery in it. And it's going to be hard, really hard sometimes. I mean, think about a man like John Owen. A godly man, a godly servant of God who, I, th- I, I may get these numbers wrong, but the gist will be right. I think he had 11 children. John Owen had 11 kids and only one of them lived to adulthood and he outlived her. I mean, that's not in Job's league, but that's hard stuff, right? Job hadn't sinned. There's a lot of mystery in the providence of God. But your king is with you in that. He understands that suffering to a depth you don't even understand. He weeps with you as you weep. He is your prince of peace who has died for you, been raised for you, is reigning for you, and is making everything work for your growth in grace. He has not promised us a trouble-free life. He's promised us a trouble-filled life, but he's promised to be with us in our troubles and cashing them in for His glory and our good. But we know we're walking in His peace when we can walk through adversity and not lose ours. We can walk through adversity in faith. People can see a difference in us. We're walking through this suffering with Christ and though it just grieves me and tears me apart, I can give testimony that Christ is strengthening me and seeing me through this. And someday we'll be on the other side 
the tapestry. Right now we're on the nighty side, if you've ever seen the back side of a tapestry. Every once in a while we get a peek of the pretty side, but in eternity then we'll be on the other side. And we'll see how all of this stuff made sense. But until then, we have a wonderful counselor who tells us truth. We have a mighty God who is for us, not against us. We have an everlasting Father who cares for us and a Prince of Peace who has purchased peace for us. Now notice in Colossians 3.16 where it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's his counsel we were talking about earlier. Colossians 3.15 says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you indeed were called in one body and be thankful. As our Prince of Peace, He's brought us peace with God. And by His Spirit empowering that Word to bless us as we live, we can grow in living in peace in the midst of the storm because He's with us and not against us. The point of the Prince of Peace. This, this Christmas, let's make a difference. This Christmas, look to Christ and abide, look to the cross and abide in His peace. As the Prince of Peace has purchased peace for you, peace with God that produces peace of soul, peace from God in His Son by His Spirit. Let's focus in on our Savior who is our wonderful Counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. So starting today and in the coming years, here's that wrap-up I told you about that was too long to be a main point. It wouldn't pass the 3 a.m. test. Right? In the coming years, whenever, you're, whenever distrust arises in your heart, bring to mind your wonderful counselor and rest in his words. Remember your mighty God and rest in his strength. Trust your everlasting Father and rest in his care. And look to your Prince of Peace and rest. In His peace. Look to Christ. He is our Emmanuel. In Him, God is indeed with us and for us and will never forsake us. So let the knowledge of Christ that you get from these titles confirm you more and more and more in your faith in Christ and fortify you against the attacks of the world and the flesh and the devil. Stand in awe of your King, this King who has come and is coming again. Our King is coming for us. And He'll wipe away every tear. And when He does come, we'll be like Him. Sanctification over, trials over, faith perfected, everlasting joy with our King. This is just a sampling of how, of how we can draw joy from this birth announcement. Unto us a child is born. This king, our king, who will reign forever. Jesus Christ is Lord. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Have mercy. Oh God, have mercy. Help us to trust you as our wonderful counselor, Lord Jesus. To know that you are a mighty God. That you are our everlasting Father and our Prince of Peace. Help us, Lord, 
Work in us to will and to do according to your good pleasure. I pray that this Christmas, as we meditate on the incarnation, that, that, that a lot of things would change in our life. That we would be more word-centered, more trusting in the midst of trials, less doubting your care for us, more walking in your peace, and therefore more light and salt to those around us, but most importantly, more life lived to the glory of our great God, of our great King. Thank you. Thank you for your grace to us. Work in us to live lives of gratitude and love for you. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.